passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The CM Punk, you know, suffered a tough loss tonight. Uh, I have to imagine that's it for him. But, I mean, did you talk to him after the fight? And, and I got to I mean, is that it for him as far as how many chances you're going to give him in the UFC? Yeah. Uh, no, it's probably, it should be a wrap, you know. The, the guy's 39 years old. I love the guy. He's the nicest guy in the world. Um, we gave him two shots, you know, and, and he had a lot of heart tonight in this fight. And, uh, yeah, I think you should call it a wrap. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock, and welcome to our post-UFC 225 show, where we are going to be going through the entire card from Saturday night in Chicago, Illinois, and I have enlisted two of my good friends to run through this card for me. Uh, an extremely long card, but no shortage of stuff to talk about. I'm joined by Ziggy and Phil, my two pals. First of all, Gr- Phil, welcome to the Greetings. show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, incredibly excited to be here. Ziggy, uh, some people may be familiar with you. You are... Uh, you were on with our WrestleMania 18 review a number of months ago. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. This is a dream come true ever since uh, helping you with your uh, uh, university stuff. So this is kind of cool. A dream. I, I don't know if this a is dream. a dream. We have a, a long card to uh, to go through here. Uh, Phil, first of all, I'm going to start off with you. Uh, when you heard the news, uh, which we were actually joking about on Thursday, the the chance that Yoel Romero could miss weight here, uh, how much did this impact your interest in this card uh, once this was turned into a non-title five-round fight going into Saturday? Uh, well, it didn't really change my interest in it so much because I was excited about the fight. Uh, I wanted to see if Romero could make improvements. It did, it added a new level of drama. So in some ways, I, I maybe got even more excited about the fight because when I was watching the weigh-ins live and on the second weigh-in, he looked awful. I mean, he could barely get up onto the scale. So uh, I, w- I became curious, like, how is he going to rebound? And then at the, um, at the ceremonial Reagans, he just looked emotionally deflated because he wasn't going to have this title fight. So it just sort of introduced all sorts of new, interesting questions into the uh, equation. And that, and that became part of the story going into the fight, which we'll talk about later. Right. And, and Ziggy, I guess looking at this card, what, what was it that had your mo- your, your interest on, on this card? Like this is a very deep card. Like, for the level of fights and I think interest level, this was one of the the larger ones the UFC had this year. But what was kind of, what were you kind of zeroed in on uh, as the fighter too that had um, your interest? Well, I think um, you know as a wrestling fan, I think the the CM Punk fight was kind of really interesting. Um, the hype video for it, uh, like we discussed uh, earlier, was kind of funny. I've never seen a hype video where the highlights were of both fighters losses it, it was quite interesting in that way um and you know like like phil said with the um you know with the weigh-in issues and everything like that uh, for me that takes a bit actually away from it because in terms of the outcome of the fight you know let's say someone wins someone loses you know they can use that as a, a crutch for it so um i'm not a fan of when people don't make weight but uh it definitely uh added drama like phil said all right uh so let's go through this uh we're not gonna spend too much time on the fight pass card but let's start from the bottom and we'll make our way up uh starting off way way earlier in the evening at 6 15 eastern time uh we had dan ige who stopped mike santiago in 50 seconds 
followed by Charles Oliveira submitting Clay Guida in two minutes and 18 seconds. And uh, these fight pass fights, uh, we got some very explosive finishes. Uh, one decision on this uh, undercard as well was Sergio Pettis defeating Joseph Benavidez, which for me was one of the best cards coming or best fights on this card coming in. He won a split decision over Benavidez and then Anthony Smith uh, with the most uh, maybe uh, – sobering knockout of the night as Rashad Evans ate this knee and just crumpled to death in 53 seconds. Um, Phil, first of all, just your impressions of any of those fights on, on the fight pass prelims. Uh, sure. So uh, Charles Oliveira, always exciting to watch him fight. And I, I might be wrong on this, but I believe he's tied for the most submissions now in UFC history and he's still pretty young. So uh, that was impressive that he could get another submission uh, the Benavides Pettis fight was a pretty good fight. Uh, Benavides, though, his, his style was a bit wild in this fight, and Pettis was just sharp. And uh, I agreed with that nod for sure. And then Rashad Evans, Anthony Smith, it, it was a tough one to watch. Anthony Smith looked a full weight class bigger. And when he set up that knee, he was framing on Rashad. It, it felt like he was framing on him forever. And the commentators were even just speculating that he's going to throw a knee. He's going to throw a knee. And when he did, it it just annihilated him. Yeah, I, I thought, Ziggy, that that was um, a really tough performance for Rashad Evans. He has lost five in a row now. It To me, it's very reminiscent of, of Chuck Liddell at the end, which is kind of concerning when you're hearing this guy eight years later talking about fighting again. Um, but yeah, this is five losses in a row now for Rashad. Yeah, I, I definitely think, uh, you know, we... We, we literally were discussing this fight uh, just prior to the fight happening. And I'm not even kidding you. I looked away for like half a second and he was already down. And, you know, you, you had called it. It's like, you know, you had um, Smith all day, um, you know, and he, you know, me and Phil were talking earlier, uh, you know, about the mental game of, uh, of MMA. And, you know, I had mentioned that, you know, I think Evans is one of those people too where he he doesn't fight the same anymore not only has his body let him down but his his mental game too has seemed to take a big hit and i think it, it showed uh and then some other uh announcements they had on the fight pass prelims this was kind of strange timing right before joseph benavidez was to fight they announced that just in case anyone thinks that this fight means anything Henry Cejudo's fighting Demetrius Johnson next for the title, and that's going to be August the 4th at UFC 227 in Los Angeles. Uh, Phil, do you like this rematch? Um, I guess especially given the fact that Benavidez ended up losing this fight, uh, I guess it makes as much sense as anything for Demetrius Johnson if you're not going the TJ Dillashaw route. Yeah, uh, the, it, it's good enough, I, I guess. Uh I like Cejudo. He's improved since the last Demetrius Johnson fight. Uh, he's got a good story, but that fight was so one-sided that it just makes it uh, difficult to get excited about this one, despite the improvements that Cejudo has made. But when you go down the roster, there really isn't anyone else in that division. So it, it sort of makes sense. And, and I mean, if, even if Sergio Pettis here has set himself up for a title fight, it's I, I don't like his chances very much. I don't like his chances more than Cejudo. So uh, it's good because I get to see we get to see Demetrius Johnson again. Uh, hopefully, uh, Cejudo can make it more competitive, but I'm not terribly enthusiastic about it. All right, let's go to the televised prelims, and it started off with. Chris De La Rocha and Rashad Coulter, which, uh, depending on your, uh, kind of what you deem as a great heavyweight fight, this was either the best or the worst heavyweight fight <laughs> ever. Um, this was just wild. The first round, these guys were just swinging from the, fe for the fences. Rashad Coulter landed so many bombs that he was, he was, his technique was so poor that he was losing his balance, falling over as he was throwing these. And Della Rocha was just eating these like tic tacs and walking through. I thought you could have gone either way on the first round. I scored it for Coulter. And then in the second, Della Rocha lands with this right, takes him down. 
I've never seen a man mounted as easily as, as Coulter was here, uh, but Della Rocha was so exhausted. He was just trying for a choke, and finally he was able to stop Coulter with strikes, but it took uh, 353 into the second round. Uh, Ziggy, make sense of this heavyweight fight. Uh, were, uh-huh. you, were you intrigued? Um, it was like, like the first round was kind of cool in terms of like, it was like Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And then you kind of take a look at both fighters and it's like, are these guys fighters or are these guys like guys they picked off the street? Obviously they're, they're fighters and no disrespect to them, but, uh, you're right. Like it was hard, you know, he should have had his back there. He should have, you know, had the rear naked choke, but there was like zero technique there and he was just so exhausted at that point. Phil, uh, what were your impressions of uh, this big heavyweight yeah. tilt? I mean, it was super entertaining for the first uh, six minutes or so, and then the fatigue just kind of got it. Uh, you were just hoping for it to sort of be over. Uh, it was comparable to two beached whales mating, but <laughs> uh, but it was entertaining and. Uh, you know, somebody got a finish. Thankfully, it didn't stretch out for for the full uh, uh, 15 minutes. But uh, I didn't see anything terribly uh, impressive in uh, I mean, either of those. Although Coulter had some sharp shots early, but he just spent himself trying to finish the fight. At least it wasn't as bad as, like, Kimbo and Dada at the end. That's... Well, I mean, no, this had entertainment uh, absolutely attached to it. All I will say is that after watching this fight, I just thought, man, if if CM Punk was like 50 pounds heavier, the criticism would have been 50 percent less uh, of of him entering this division and and facing your lowest heavyweight where power would be something um, that would hopefully be an attribute. Uh Mursad Bektik took on Ricardo Lamas in a featherweight fight. You could not have a more polar opposite fight from the previous one than this. Yeah. Uh, Lamas is coming off that brutal knockout loss uh, from Josh Emmett back in December. Uh, so they went the they went three rounds here. Um, I scored it twenty nine twenty eight for Bektik. I thought the second was fairly close. You could argue, you know, the third was extremely close as well. I gave the third to Lamas because while he wasn't controlling Bektik, he was the one that was going for so many submissions, one of which he actually got in a pretty deep guillotine, but just kept either losing it or he would go all in on the guillotine and lose the guy's head and just take a back bump onto the canvas. Uh, but Bektik gets the, the split decision victory, which was the start of a series of split decisions. Um, Phil, how did you score this fight? So I, I actually had Bektik winning thirty twenty seven on this fight. Uh, it was it now that it was still a, a pretty competitive fight. Um, you're right that uh, Lamas was going after some submissions, but uh, I found Bektik was also trying to attack as well. Bektik was just really sharp in this fight. He's a very skilled guy, a lot of technique. And the only thing was in the third round, he did feel like he just went into cruise control mode. Mm-hmm. He he kind of felt like he was up on two rounds and, and this played it safe and just got top position. Um, and, and I think that's what sort of spurred Lamas's, um activity because he he needed a finish. But uh, Bektik's a really skilled guy, and, and beating somebody like Lamas is a pretty big achievement. So uh, he, he's on a short list for uh, you know maybe one one fight away from a title shot. I think. Yeah, Ziggy, how did you score the fight? I'm, I'm with Phil. I, I honestly I've never felt that Bektik was ever really in danger. I thought he dominated from start to finish, uh, which actually was kind of uh, disappointing to me because I do like Lamas uh, and I. And, and I was quite surprised on the he, – he looked outmatched. He, he really did. Like, I mean, he was still in the fight, but I never felt that Pectic uh, was ever threatened or anything like that. And I think that's why, like, you know, like Phil said that, you know, he kind of seemed like in cruise control on the third because he was never threatened really. Yeah, it's kind of – featherweight is a very tough division to just be competitive in like Ricardo Lamas is now. Um, he he – He's sort of in a gatekeeper role now at 145 pounds, and it's a it's a very tough, tough division for that that kind of a spot for a guy that's 36 now uh, in Lamas. 
Claudia Gedalia took on Carla Esparza, the former women's strawweight champion. Uh, they went the distance going to another split decision victory. Uh, it was Gedalia that got the, the nod, 29-28. Um, there was a lot of debate about the first round because it was um, a round that you could have argued was uh, Esparza's or Gedalia's. I scored this fight 29-28 for Gedalia, and it was a case of Gedalia can controlling 90% of the first round, but then got rocked at one point, which was very uncharacteristic of Carlos Barza, who just landed the shot on Gedelia. Um, second round, I thought, uh, pretty easy round for Gedelia. And then the third round, I think you have to give to Esparza. She looked very strong with her striking, took her down at the end of the round. Um, so I had it 29-28 for Gedelia. Ziggy, do you disagree? Uh, I do not disagree. Um, this fight actually, I thought was really, really. Uh, I thought this fight. was. The, I thought this was the best fight up until this point in the show. Yeah, it was. You know what? It was. It was very competitive. Um, you know what? I I honestly thought that Esparza was just going to get her butt whipped after the first round, and like she showed heart, and I was like, I was actually very impressed with her. And you know, even if they gave it to her at the end, I would have been okay with it. Um, but. Um, I, I I did score it uh, your way as well. So, hey Phil, how did the cookie crumble for your scorecard? In this <laughs> nice. You've well, been on that one. <laughs> well, the the cookie the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> I I did have it uh, two chocolate chips to one pecan for uh, Claudia Gadelia. So yes. I thought they got the right uh, victor. Although by the end of the fight, it was clearly one sided in uh, Asparza's favor. So I, I think the, the decision was okay, uh, although I got to say, Claudia Gadelia, awful post-fight speech here. She was saying, she was telling him, don't boo Carla, don't boo Carla, she gave a good fight. No, they're booing you <laughs> exactly. because you just got whooped for the last five minutes and they gave you the decision. Uh, so, And then she was saying how she it was like fight of the night and she wanted the 50 G's. I mean, it was, it was an entertaining fight, but I, I didn't have it in that high regard. So maybe go back to the promo work, uh, mm-hmm. but she got the win. And I, I think it was, uh, it was an okay win, a tough, tough third round. Um, she needs to figure out how to deal with that gas tank. Cause it's not the first time she's faded in the fight. Yeah. And, I mean, Phil, where do you figure this this places Gedelia at 115 pounds now? Obviously, the fact that Joanna is no longer champion, I think that greatly enhances her case to challenge for that title again uh, with Rose Nama Yunus as champion now. But do you feel there will still be uh, some kind of buffer fight for Gedelia before she is fighting for the title again? Uh, I just, I guess, there's who is the alternative really? to put her into that, into that title fight. So yeah. I, I think, I, I think you can put her in there. Um, it, it, it kind of makes sense. It would have really made sense for Carla Sparza to get the win. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that division's a little bit messed up right now, but I, I think you go with, uh, Claudia Gedalia. And then the televised prelims were headlined by heavyweights, Alistar Overeem and Curtis Blades. Uh, Blades has won his last four, Alistair Overeem, uh, last time we saw him in the octagon, he orbited into space via Francis Ngannou and then just crashed down onto the canvas. This was right out of Mortal Kombat, um, which is the theme that Curtis Blades came out to. I didn't even have that connection in my head when I made that joke. Um, Ziggy, you were a big fan of the walkout. I, I was. As soon as I heard Mortal Kombat, I'm like, Curtis Blades got to win this and, uh, you know, and, and finish him because it, it was. It was great. It was a good. Uh, it was a pretty decent fight. Um, you know, um, uh, Curtis Blades did a, a great job. You know, Overeem had a, a few times where he went for the heel hook um, on that, and uh, he defended it. So uh, it was great. Um, some, uh, you know, it had some great advice from the corners. I, I found too. Um, you know, telling him to watch out for the heel hook and, and everything. So I thought uh, Curtis Blades did a good job listening to his uh, his corner. Yeah, I, I think if you were expecting these two to come and just blast at one another, uh, you would have been disappointed, but I thought it was a very smart game plan by Blades. I thought he clearly won the first two rounds and was especially effective on top in, in half guard with Alistair into the third. Uh, he ended up taking him down after they exchanged uh, up against the fence and he was 
He was connecting hard on Overeem and then just shot for the takedown. He was not going to just uh, gamble with a striking exchange with Overeem. Got on top and then ended up in Overeem's full guard and just started blasting Overeem with these big elbows uh, and stopped him. 256 of the third round. I thought this was another pretty vicious stoppage uh, at the hands of Alistair Overeem. And Curtis Blades afterwards, Phil, he says he wants the heavyweight title fight after Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier fight. Um, well, it was a very impressive performance. Uh, it, it was a pretty seasoned performance, which was surprising. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's one thing to take down Mark Hunt over and over again. Uh, but in this case, you know, uh, Overeem's a lot more athletic and Overeem looked in uh, to be in good shape. Uh, Overeem had his game plan really was to counter in this fight and he just never really could get off his counters. So, and the finish was brutal as, uh, you said, uh, I mean, the heavyweight division is, is pretty thin. So, uh, who, who's he going to go against? Maybe, maybe he should go against the winner of, uh, Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou first. Uh, that, that might make some sense. I don't know if he's, Skill-wise, he might be ready for a title shot. It, it, it's sort of hard to judge in the heavyweight division, which is pretty thin. But I think the name, his name needs to be built up a little bit more. He's still a pretty new name to the audience. Uh, so I wouldn't be drastically opposed to a title shot. But I'd like to see him fight another contender first. Yeah, I mean, he's he, he came into this ranked fourth. So you figure he, he's going to jump a spot or two, maybe leapfrogs Alexander Volkov that... Yeah, Curtis Blades fighting for a title is looks looks to be something that that could happen even before the end of this year potentially. Then we go on to the pay per view, and <laughs> it kicks off with CM Punk against Mike Jackson. Now, before we talk about the fight, I have never uh, the the last time CM Punk fought was UFC two hundred three, and I was covering that card in Cleveland, so I was I was privy to a portion of the broadcast, but was not watching the entire show. This one, uh, Joe Rogan, I have never heard this guy have such disdain for the concept of this fight being made. He was not sugarcoating anything by the time this was over. Um, first of all, what did you guys just think of the broadcast, uh, starting with you, Ziggy, about uh, how this was handled? You could see that John Anik and Jimmy Smith understood that this was the promotion that the UFC was opting to go with, and Joe Rogan really didn't give a shit yeah um you know what and you know as the the fight played out you can tell why joe rogan um didn't give a shit but even like you know you you looked at cm punk shadow boxing and you know you've uh, me and you and and phil who actually trains uh uh in jiu-jitsu and everything like that uh you know we've seen fighting for a long time it was the weirdest thing watching him shadow box because even his shadow boxing looked terrible and I was like looking at it, like even um, on the um, the hype video where he's shadow boxing, he looked really bad doing it. And then when they showed him in the uh, in the back doing the shadow boxing, I was like, "This is gonna be like really, really bad." And I was interested into it. And then as the fight went on, I was like, "This is awful." And you know, even even Mike Jackson when he was fighting, like I I, I thought he was really. Uh, disappointing in terms of like you know he decided to to play around with the the fight and you know we all heard what dana uh dana said afterwards and i you know i don't agree with dana for the most part or how he says things but with mike jackson i 100 percent agree with him phil uh not talking about the actual fight but just wh- where were you going into this the idea a to use cm punk a second time b uh placing him on pay-per-view um yeah, just just what were your thoughts about this uh, going to the well a second time with with Punk? I, I didn't have a problem. I didn't really have a problem with him being on pay per view. Uh, I had low, 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 low expectations about his his ability. Uh, I and I just understood it as a business decision. They're 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 there to draw. Um, I talked to you about this before that I thought that they could have maybe put him on fight pass to try to draw viewership to fight pass which is a similar thing uh 
similar concept. They're still trying to get revenue off of him. But look, he's he's somebody who there's an audience of people who are used to paying for him on pay-per-view. And so they're trying to pull in that audience. So I understood it. Um, and I so from a business decision, I didn't really have a problem with it. But I knew it was not going to be a pretty pretty fight and i didn't really have a problem with what joe rogan was saying i thought he he wasn't he didn't say anything incorrectly i mean maybe he was he was just kept he was he was doubling down on on the the disdain as you said uh but he didn't say anything inaccurate so i don't really have a problem with it and i i think people find his style of commentary refreshing because he he calls it like he sees it and doesn't sugarcoat things. So I didn't really have a problem with the way that the broadcast handled it. And uh, I think, though, from this performance, see, from the first performance, there was still an element of unknown. <laughs> this performance, like, there, there's no question. This guy should not be in the UFC. Um, there is, There are no opponents that he can go up against. So... Uh, now, if he wants to continue his MMA career and, and, and because he's got a passion for it, you know, more power to him. But he should not be in the UFC. Well, what would have happened if he hit that go-go pata, though? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's let's go through the fight first because there were some high or or I should say low lights uh, of the fight. He comes out to punk a person, uh, cult of personality. Uh, place is going crazy for him. They booed Jackson. I will say this with Mike Jackson. This guy knew exactly why he was booked for this fight. He was not going to just toe the line or try to get the audience on his side or anything. He knew he was here to be booed and he played it up all week. And, and I thought this guy, like, listen, he knew what he was here for. Um, so the fight begins and Jackson starts hitting him with this right hand early on and Punk, to, to his credit, he responded with, with one of his own strikes. Then they start clinching, and Jackson continues landing these right hands, and Punk is getting busted up fairly early. And it seemed that Punk, in his back pocket, always felt that I can go for a takedown, that this guy's takedown defense will not be all that great. But uh, it was problematic for, for Punk to try and get this guy down. Um, Jackson won the first round. The second was just a mauling. Uh, Punk... At one point, just like jumped up for this guillotine and Jackson like placed him down like a toddler onto his back. <laughs> and then we saw it like several times in this fight where I don't think I've ever seen guard play like this in any kind of professional mixed martial arts where we had the guy posturing up and Punk was like trying to do like stomach crunches in order to punch the guy from his guard and just these strikes from guard. Then you factor in in the third round where both men are exhausted trying to do all of this. Where, like, listen, Jackson, yes, he has fought um, in boxing and, and Muay Thai. But this guy is just above the CM Punk level if you're assessing here in the UFC welterweight division. Um, Punk, Punk is on his back. Jackson is kind of just clowning around and this drew a lot of criticism the announcers were kind of just done here it was like john anik it felt like this guy went out for a smoke or something because it was just pretty much rogan with his stream of conscience and jimmy smith was like <laughs> trying to straddle the line but even he was like yeah this is really bad and it ends i had this fight 30 26 for jackson uh you could have any kind of score for this for this fight uh in favor of jackson who wins the fight, and then Jackson cut a promo afterwards trying to petition for either another fight in the UFC or for Zufa Boxing, which I would say are unlikely after Dana White gave his thoughts on this. Rogan had signaled that he wanted to interview Punk, but then it never happened. And this took up the first 45 minutes of the card. Um, I'll just get my thoughts out of the way. Listen, I, I think that CM Punk could have made money many, many different ways. I give him a lot of credit that he came back and did a second fight. Um, as much as, like, for people that want to call this a cash grab, this is a really, really hard and humbling way to make money uh, fighting at this level. Uh, so I do give him that credit for coming back a second time. But I honestly believe that this guy does enjoy fighting. And if you are, then this is not the place for you. That was 
painfully obvious. It was obvious before this fight as well. I understood the rationale to the UFC wants this interest. If you're going to use this guy, you might as well use him on the most profitable platform you have in pay-per-view. And based on the interest level this week, Punk was the biggest star on this show. And some people might not want to hear that, but I believe that to be true. But this was a horrendous fight. Uh, and I think it's if you really want to improve as a mixed martial artist – this should not be the spotlight you have on yourself. And it's either you want to do this as a bucket list thing and you made some money or you really want to give yourself uh, the best possible chance for advancement. Uh, but at 39 years of years of age, that's very tough. And Punk is not a natural athlete. He is starting at a ridiculous level um, to be trying this. Uh, Phil, just pick up uh, with any of your conclusions because there's probably many of them to this fight. Yeah. Well, I mean, with your business assessment of it, I, 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 I think I already mentioned, I get that. And uh, so I, I don't really have too much hate on the UFC. I do think, and I thought this after the first fight that his, I think his, his team did him a disservice with that first Mickey gall fight to even think that you'd remotely have a chance. So there, there's a lack of sobriety. It feels around his career and his skill level and where, where he should be competing. Um, it was, it was a brutal fight. Uh, I mean, he was pretty much spent four minutes into the first round. So the remainder of the fight was just awful. And, uh, I've got to also say that the criticism of, uh, Mike Jackson is more than warranted. Pretty much two minutes into the second round, he could have finished this fight. I feel like at any point. And, uh, I'm not one with, uh, the conspiracy theories here. So I'll, I'll save those for those with more tinfoil, but it felt like he was intentionally Dewey not trying to finish the fight. I'm just going to – I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Joe Rogan actually threw this idea out, and you could tell he he walked that back because that that's a major charge to make uh, on a UFC broadcast by a commentator. <laughs> and I think Rogan realized that because Rogan had no filter in this fight. And I'm with I, – I, I'm not critical of Joe Rogan because – I want guys to be honest. If that's how he feels, then that's how he feels. And I don't want him to be trying to sugarcoat uh, something that he doesn't believe in. That's, to me, what I want out of a commentator. At times we argue that, you know, the UFC controlling the production, you're getting a very sanitized presentation. And you didn't have that with Joe Rogan here. So whether you agreed or disagreed with him, I'm never going to fault a guy for being honest I, with his I, I think opinions. I think the, the biggest problem with this fight, though, like, can you imagine this was your first UFC uh, card watching? Like, you've never watched MMA before, and this is the first fight that you see? It, it, it's it, I, Like, I was trying to think of that perspective. Like, if you didn't know who CM Punk was, you didn't know much about mixed martial arts, like, that is a hard fight to show, especially the way that Mike Jackson went through with everything and like how CM Punk looks silly with his with his spin kicks and like it just looks so amateurish um that like for me like in in that perspective of like if you're trying to get people to watch mixed martial arts that was definitely not one of the fights to show so uh yeah there there's a much more to say about this fight it was uh it was pretty awful and i mean first do you guys feel that punk will continue to fight because I do believe that this guy could very well fight again, and this will sound absolutely insane the day after, but I remember at UFC 203, and I interviewed Dana White right after that fight, and he said the exact same thing he said this time, that if he wants to continue fighting, the UFC is probably not the promotion for him. And here we go again. If this guy wants to fight again, and you're the UFC, are are you going to put him on ESPN Plus, or are you going to just... Let him go fight elsewhere. Phil. I, I think it's just who are you going to get him to go up against? There is no caliber of opponent that they could pick that is going to be a competitive fight. So even if he did big numbers on pay-per-view, I just don't see the UFC being the place for him. So you, the UFC is fight pass. They have some other smaller promotions on fight pass. Maybe they can figure out a way to get him on one of those shows against a, 
a, a, a lower level opponent. The, the big problem is this guy had no amateur fights either. Like, mm-hmm. like so, and he, and you can't just go back to you can't go to an amateur uh, status after you've already had professional fights. So he should be fighting amateurs. He he's not. He's he's in this professional status. So. I don't know. I, I mean, and it was a beating. He got beat pretty bad. And this is somebody who uh, has a problem, has a history of concussions, from what I understand. I'm not super familiar with his uh, previous career. So if he's got a problem with concussions, that was a brutal beating. Um, I mean, he can make so much more. He can make money doing pro wrestling, and it sounds like he's got a disdain for that. But, I, I, I mean, if I, I that would be my, my advice to him. Go do that because – at this point, I don't see how he's going to make any more money doing uh, mixed martial arts, like in a significant way. I can't. Are those fans who tuned in last time, and, and I'm sure there were lots of fans who tuned in this time and paid their money. These, these saw what he's about. Are they gonna like? How many more people are gonna shell out fifty, thirty, even twenty bucks to see him? Um, uh, so I. I if he wants to do it as a personal project, you know, more power to him. It's a, fighting in a mixed martial arts fight, whether it be amateur or prof- professional, is an extremely difficult thing to do. Uh, it takes a lot of cojones. It takes strong will and determination. And so I have a lot of respect for him for trying it. But UFC is definitely not the place for uh, CM Punk. Yeah, yeah I, I think too, like, if you think about like his. His game was supposed to be more jujitsu, and like you know, like like John said, his jujitsu was like you can even tell he trained in jujitsu at that point. The way he was defending with the with the guard. So, I mean, I I think in terms of mixed martial arts, I think he should be done. If anything, he can train in jujitsu and do like some of those competitions, maybe because that would be his best bet. I don't want to see anywhere with him and his striking, just because. Like Phil, you know, said, you know, with his history of concussions and things like that, uh, at his age, too, taking that kind of damage. And if he takes any damage like he did yesterday, that would not be good for him at all. They announced uh, Ronda Rousey will be the final inductee for this year's UFC Hall of Fame class going in the modern wing. Uh, So that's interesting that she will theoretically be there during International Fight Week. Andre Arlovsky took on Tai Tuivasa who came out to <laughs> My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion, which was outstanding. I thought this was so great. I can't believe that like Dana White is so conservative with these songs these guys can come out with that I was amazed that this got through. But it did, and it was fantastic. I, I thought this was the best entrance of the night. Uh, would have been second if anyone came out to Aqua. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they went three rounds here. Uh, first round... Uh, I gave to uh, to Tui Vasa. Uh, in the second, I thought this was Arlovsky's round. Uh, he connected with a number of strikes. Like all the rounds were fairly close here. I mean, this was a pretty mm-hmm. close fight. Uh, Tui Vasa early on in the fight uh, got cut open and was just bleeding buckets on top of Arlovsky. It was one of those deals where he he took him down and uh, Arlovsky had these underhooks applied, and then he came up and it was just like. Uh, seen out of Jaws here with all this blood that had come out. Uh, third round begins. It's very close. Tuivasa connected with a left hook and then a flurry against the fence. Arlovsky did come back. Uh, Tuivasa with a combination at the end. I had it 29-28 for uh, Tuivasa, who the judges all scored it for uh, with the same score. So he improves and is uh, remains undefeated uh, with his third victory in the UFC. Uh, Phil, did you have a, a different scorecard? Uh, no, I didn't have a different scorecard. I had it 29-28, but it was it was looking like I thought Arlovsky was going to take this. I thought that he he sort of the first round went to Tiavasa, and then Arlovsky I thought took the second round, and then the third was pretty close. Yeah. And I think in the last sort of like 15 seconds, even Arlovsky sort of started celebrating, and I think that was to his detriment because it was still such a close round that you wanted to see him do more. And it, so I, I think Arlovsky kind of did himself a disservice. I, I will say I was pretty impressed at the shots that Arlovsky took in this fight. He took some huge shots and was in there, and and we've all seen him flatlined <laughs> many times in his career. So it was a pretty competitive fight. I thought Tiavasa 
looked like he was getting tired, but he definitely got a second win in this fight. So it's a good win for him. And Arlovsky, you got to fight till the till the bell. Agreed. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, um, I think this was a, a, a good fight for Tuivasa in terms of uh, getting that experience in this, uh, especially with someone like Arlovsky, you know, who's been a world champion. So I thought that was a, a good experience uh, for him. Uh, he reminds me a lot of uh, of of Mark Hunt. I know they they train together uh, without the kicks, obviously. Um, but um, you know, uh, I'm 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 excited to see this guy. Uh, the Titanic theme. So, um, John, as you know, I'm not a fan of Celine Dion, but I can stop laughing. It was actually pretty good. So, not yeah. That. This is a very good win, I thought, for for Taitu Ivasa. And like you guys, I thought Ar- Arlovsky looked extremely competitive in this fight. I mean, for for somebody that has been fighting as long as he has, he did not feel out of place in the least. Uh, Holly Holm and Megan Anderson was next. Uh, they noted this was the first non-title women's featherweight fight in UFC history. So that's quite the distinction. <laughs> <laughs> first round, this fight started off like Anderson was just going to maul her she hit her with this knee that Holm took and just walked through amazingly and then landed a a front kick and ended up coming back and winning this round and then rounds two and three I don't think I've ever seen Holly Holm perform this well I thought you could look at the Ronda Rousey fight as the best executed game plan she had for a specific fighter and it had the highlight reel head kick but in terms of a start to finish performance i thought this was holly holmes best performance in the ufc i had both two and three as 10 eight rounds we saw way uh, varied offense from Holm. it was not just her striking but her ability to take her down mount her several times and then work on top with elbows uh she worked from side control late in the third round uh, I just thought it was, this was a very, very strong performance from Holly Holm, who won on the scorecards a 30-27 and a pair of 30-26s. So none of the judges went uh, for two 10-8 rounds as I did. But I just thought this was a, a thrashing by Holly Holm, who gave a, a really tremendous speech afterwards about uh, wanting to win titles at 145 or 135, but leaning towards bantamweight and then thanking her team. Uh, Ziggy, uh, what did you think about Holly Holm's performance? Uh, it was spectacular. Uh, you know, I had that same thing with her. Like, you know, when Megan Anderson hit her, uh, I was like, oh, wow. Like, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, Holly Holmes gets dazed and it's going to look bad. But she recovered really well. And, and you know, uh, I, I completely agree with you. She she stuck to her game plan, uh, grabbed her down and, you know, really showed how green uh, Megan Anderson was because, like, someone with Megan Anderson's size and everything like that, like you can tell, like with um, with experience, she can become uh, really good. But you know, it, it, Holly Holm like played it perfectly and just made her look really green, and uh, that was uh, you know a great execution, uh, and you know uh, that was a big win for her for sure. And uh, like I said, or like you said, her speech afterwards was really good too. Like even. Even though I was like, that was a really good, you know, speech. It didn't need any swearing or anything like that. And, you know, she she did a good job. Yeah. And, Phil, this is also, you know, it's a fight that if you wanted to make the, the rematch with Cyborg, you could do that afterwards. And conversely, she could fight Amanda Nunez tomorrow at 135. There is not a whole depth of challengers uh, at either division at the moment. So this was a pretty... Uh, advantageous victory for Holly Holm and how you can book her in her next fight. Uh, definitely. Uh, uh, so the the story of the fight, I think, was just Holly Holm using her experience, really, to control this fight. And uh, Megan Anderson, I mean, she threw with a lot of power. Like, you, you, you were, it was, I was almost nervous early in the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the power was so intense. Uh, but uh, once Holm got into mount, she really didn't have an answer for the mount. I mean, she would occasionally try to slip in her leg for a quarter guard, but she didn't have any type of, like, knee-elbow escapes. She wasn't shrimping, so she, she, she's, like, on the bottom, it's a it's a big problem. And that made it clear that uh, Megan Anderson is is not really ready for uh cyborg uh and in regards to what you can do with holly Holm, yeah i think i think a title fight at 135 makes the most sense 
because these are the two women who've knocked out uh, Ronda Rousey, and uh, we and I, I was we were talking uh, before the event about you know how Enyahu said today how Punk is the biggest star on this show, and I'd say Holly Holm is the second biggest star on this show. People will always remember her for that knockout and this promo that she gave uh you know it was so personable like you know he's like i want to win a belt at 135 yeah i want to win a belt at 145 yeah I do it all. And, <laughs> but everybody was behind it like he was like yeah go for it girl yeah you can do it so uh you know she's she's got a really infectious personality people want to see her win and I, I think the 135 title fight makes a lot of sense the only caveat to that is you literally have no one at 145. So, so, but you can always go back to that fight. It's, I guess it just depends on how you want to book Cyborg. If you want to find some other no namer uh, for her to fight, uh, but uh, I would prefer to see Holly Holm in the 135 title fight. Yes, because you don't want to see uh, an interim title come out of any of those divisions <laughs> because that was reserved for the welterweight division. Uh, the most confusing, or just just preposterous interim title introduction we had uh rafael dos anjos and colby covington this coming after tyron woodley had fought four times within a span of 12 months and is ready to fight this summer uh so anyway nonetheless uh colby covington was probably the most hated villain in this entire card he came out uh was booed soundly here in the united center and they started at this pace, in particular Covington, that I thought there was no chance that this guy was going to be able to maintain throughout this fight. But it was like this was a very fast paced fight. And the announcers, I thought, consistently were reacting to a lot of Covington's game and not so much to RDA. And you were seeing him land some really clean strikes and the audience wasn't reacting to them. And it was like the announcers were kind of off on discussing Colby's pressure and comparing him to the Diaz brothers. And I, I think that this was a case, much like Stephen Thompson of a few weeks ago, where you had to really be paying attention to what RDA was doing here because he was landing quite a lot. Um, and that's why it was an extremely close fight. Won't go through every single round, but I thought that uh, – I'll give give my my score. I thought – RDA won the first round and the fourth round, and I gave Covington rounds two, three, and five. So I had it 48-47 uh, for Covington. Uh, I can imagine scores being all over the place for this one. Um, Ziggy, how did you have it? Uh, I had the same uh, as you as well. It was uh, a really close uh, fight. I think Covington uh, played a smart fight in, in, in smothering him in terms of that. Um, it looked great for the judges that you know looked like he was pressing everything and and you can tell it, it did kind of um throw dos Anjos off his game a bit um so i thought he played a very uh a smart fight but yeah i, I would agree it was a, a very close fight but I, I still gave it to um colvin king there and phil i want to know your score and also what you took away watching five rounds specifically of colby covington here that maybe uh you know, you didn't see in this guy heading into this fight. Did he prove anything to you? Uh, well, well, he definitely proved things to me. So uh, my score, I actually had it uh, four rounds to one for Covington with that distinction, I think, being that first round. I gave that one to Covington. Uh, now, again, that's not the story of the fight because it was a super competitive fight. Like these rounds were pretty close. I think what you were saying about uh, Dos Anjos landing mostly on the counter was accurate. We weren't giving enough stock to that, but it was pretty impressive just how Covington outside of like twice when he kind of got like he would get hit and he, he would have to like move back. Covington just kept walking forward and it, it really didn't even matter what, what Dos Anjos threw at him. Um, but the real takeaway was just the pace, the level of pace that that Covington was able to put on him and and throwing his hands all the time, getting in on the takedowns and just wearing him down. It, it was really impressive. It looked for a moment like uh, after in the fourth round, which was the round I gave to Dos Anjos, that uh, Covington was fading and that was the round that Dos Anjos started to take Covington down. And that was a really, I mean, his takedowns were looking great. But even by the end of that round, 
I, I just don't think Dos Anjos could keep up the pace that he needed, and, and Covington came back. And then the fifth round, Covington was able to take it by doing what he did for most of the rest of the fight. So I was impressed with the way Covington fought. It, it was uh, it was a better performance than I thought he was going to he'd be able to. I did not think he'd be able to sustain that pace for five rounds. And so I, I, I'm pretty interested in Tyrone Woodley. Uh, fight at this point. I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Dos Anjos was on a big run. He was looking good. And even if you gave the fight to Dos Anjos, I, I think you still have to be impressed with how Covington fought. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, you can certainly criticize the decision to install an interim title. I, I don't get so bent out of shape over them. I just look at it's like it's a it's a number one contender spot. That's what it is. It guarantees you a fight with the champion hypothetically. And coming out of this, A, I thought you got a really great fight between these two, way above what I was anticipating. And B, you've got a welterweight title fight that people are interested in. There's a great backstory between Woodley and Covington, and it seems that is the... It's a great fight for Tyron Woodley, because you have someone here that has has sparked uh, emotion out of people. So that's kind of what you want if you are Tyron Woodley, that is it is attached to how you perform on pay-per-view business-wise. You've got an opponent now that people do care about. And so I, I think that this comes out as, as a win in the welterweight division, spe- especially a win for Tyron Woodley. Um, so yeah. if the, if the, if they can, or, and if they can arrange that Donald Trump uh, belt <laughs> ceremony, Oh my gosh. Would yeah, that wh- wh- be? Why don't you explain for those that didn't see his post fight, uh, promo, Phil, what he, uh, intends to do with his championship? Yeah. So he wants, he wants to take his title belt. I guess this is in the wake of, uh, these, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles being either uninvited or uninviting themselves from the White House earlier this week. And the same thing with the Golden State Warriors. So Covington had made the point that he wanted to go to the White House and give the title belt, the real title belt, to Donald Trump. And uh, so he's a big Trump booster, I guess. And uh, I and of course, Dana White has a relationship with uh, Donald Trump. He, oh, he dude, Donald Trump will do that photo op tomorrow. He would do that in a heartbeat. You're telling me I can I can have a shot with a UFC title and just throw that out a hundred percent that photo op. He would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's it. So from that perspective, it's a big win for the UFC. I think. I think. Covington was making a lot of noise with his trash talk and, and it, it was, it, you know, it's a shtick. It's, it's a performance. And I think finally it's breaking through. I think for this fight with Tyrone Woodley, which is the fight you got to make, it's, it's really going to have an impact because you look at his social media. It's not like this guy's on fire with a bunch of followers, but now that he's got this interim belt, he's going to get a real title shot. They do this Donald Trump thing. I, I think, I think this character can take off. Ziggy, were you going to say something? Yeah, I think too. Like uh, with the way that he's been portraying himself and everything, you know, he's kind of like a poor man's McGregor. But I think he will bring a lot of life to the fight with Woodley, since you know Woodley, um, in terms of like promoting himself and you know having a hard time drawing people, I think this would is the perfect fight for Woodley. And you know, I think a lot of people would love to see Woodley shut him up. And if he if he shuts him up in fashion, I think that would. Um, you know, do really well for Woodley. And then our final fight of the night was Robert Whitaker, Yoel Romero, a rematch from last July where Robert Whitaker tore his MCL early in the fight, but was still able to win by decision. Uh, Yoel Romero missed weight after two tries on Friday, coming in on his second try at 185.2 pounds. He maintains that the Illinois State Athletic Commission, uh, forced him to stop. Uh, he had been allotted two hours and was stopped after one hour and was point two over. Uh, and from like everyone that was around him, and you can see some video of this, like he looked to be in a horrible state. So I don't know how much you can criticize the commission for stopping this guy from going to the absolute brink when it comes to a weight cut and how damaging you are to yourself. Uh, that said, uh, being 0.2 pounds over uh, forces to be changed to a non-title fight, and uh, given the level of this fight, it would also cost him an additional $50,000 as well uh, in a performance bonus. Um, but I guess just on the, the topic of weight cutting, um, 
I mean, where do, where do you fall, Phil, in terms of uh, is reform necessary for weight cutting or is this simply it's it's a percentage of guys that are missing weight that really are just their own worst enemy and how much weight they are opting to cut when, let's be honest, the vast majority, they are making weight. But we're going to focus on the the ever so growing amount that are not and it's becoming a routine. Uh, yeah, I, I do – it's a tough question. I think it's a, uh, just in the case of this story, I just want to point out that I believe uh, – I don't know if it was he enlisted the help of George Lockhart, but he definitely enlisted the help of some uh, weight cut expert. But apparently he only did it five or six days out from the fight rather than you know two weeks out from the fight. So uh, it sounds like it was it was some – his own uh, – of his own making of Romero's making missing the weight, but I hate the weight cut. I think it's awful. I think, I, I think it's somebody could end up killing themselves doing this. It, it's, it's brutal. It's the, it's the dirty, dirty secret of the sport. Like the hardcore fans know what's going on, but the casual fan has no idea about what, what's involved in the, in the weight cut. And I, I hate it. They're gruesome. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, one FC's policy seems seems pretty good. I would love to see people fight at their natural weights. That would mean, though, we would need more weight classes, which at this point, who cares? I mean, they're giving out interim titles left, right, and center. <laughs> so what, what does it matter to have more weight classes? You, now you have more four-weight world champions or, or whatever. So I... I, I I don't really have the answer to it, but I do think something needs to be done uh, because it, it could end up really tragically. So this fight began where it seemed early on Romero was adamant on not repeating the mistakes of the first fight because the first two rounds Romero was just so tentative. It just seemed the game plan was to conserve energy for those first two rounds. And I thought Whitaker uh, easily won the first two. And then the third round begins. And if you have followed Yoel Romero's career, that is when the fight begins. Round three. And he rocks Whitaker with this right hand and just starts swarming him. He's landing strikes against the cage, but then out of nowhere, Whitaker cracks him with this elbow. So Romero and him start just pouring it on one another. Whitaker hits him with a head kick. This was one of the best rounds of 2018. Uh, I scored the third for Romero, so I had Whitaker up 2-1 going into the championship rounds. In the fourth, this was a very, I thought, a difficult round to score because, and I rewatched it, it's like 95% Whitaker, but Romero nails these two strikes on Whitaker in the final 30 seconds that rock Whitaker. Like, he has lost his, his balance and then followed up with this left hand that I mean, maybe I'm in the minority, but I scored it for Romero because I just thought that they were the most significant strikes of this round, even though you could very easily give it to Whitaker as well. And then the fifth round was a dominant Yoel Romero round. Um, you could go 10-8. I didn't quite go 10-8. So I had it 48-47 for Yoel Romero at the end of this. But uh, this was definitely a very uh, debated fight in terms of uh, the scorecards and the winner was Robert Whitaker by split decision, 48-47, and then one having it uh, 48-47 for Yoel Romero. Ziggy, your scorecard and impressions of the main event. Oh, it was it, it was a great fight. Um, so I had it for – you know, I would have been okay with a tie even um, on that. It was just – it was so back and forth um, – on that um but my final scorecard actually uh, maybe it's a little crazy but I, I i i gave it three rounds to whitaker and then i actually gave two ten eights uh to uh romero uh, at the end um which would put romero on top right uh by one um but i thought like even at the beginning like um i i couldn't tell if it was because of the weight cut um on that like there was one point where Romero was literally just he stood still like completely still and you know and uh, uh Whitaker was taking some shots on him uh you know I thought oh you know he should go for the body more but it was probably because he was afraid that uh, Romero would take him down possibly or or shoot on him so um you know round 3 like you said was probably uh, a great uh um round for fighting 
uh, in general. And uh, I think if the fight had gone longer, I think Whitaker would have been totally done for. So uh, it, was, it was a great competitive fight. Um, and, uh, you know, it's too bad he didn't make weight because uh, I, I think he, he should have won that fight, to be honest. Phil, your, your scorecard and, I mean, is this up there for fight of the year? Uh, okay, so my scorecard, I think your analysis was spot on, John. Uh, Romero was, was definitely not trying to engage in the first round, trying to conserve his energy. I think in general he just didn't even want to really engage in the wrestling because, mm-hmm. because not to say that he's not going to be the better wrestler because I think he would be, but, it, but Whitaker's defense is, is good enough that he's not going to be able to dominate in the wrestling. So he just, he pretty much just bided his time. I gave him, I gave Whitaker the first, the second, and I did give Whitaker the fourth, even though, as you said, those big shots at the end were the most significant of the, the fight. I gave Romero the third and the fifth, and I didn't give them as 10 8. So I did have Whitaker winning three rounds to two. I would like to go back and watch that fifth round again because a 10-8 round doesn't at all seem out of the question there. So a draw makes sense. And even Ziggy's scorecard of a 10-8 in the third round also doesn't seem ridiculous. I, so, I, I said that for the fourth. The the third round was is very even, though. Like Because uh, you had the, the knockdown, then you had the... Um, or sorry, yeah. Sorry, I'm thinking of the fourth. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the fourth. I, I have a tough time scoring the fourth a ten eight. But I think the third and fifth, you you could definitely make that argument. I didn't go ten eight for either of them, but I can see how how you you do. It was like this was one where you can have a wide range of scores coming out of this um, that can arrive yeah. at several conclusions. Like it. If if Romero had won the fight, I wouldn't have been upset. If it was a draw, I wouldn't have been upset. And I and I did generally agree with the decision as it stood. So uh, it was a super competitive fight. Fight of the year contender, I definitely think so. I mean, I can't even think of what else is sort of on the in the same realm as this fight for a fight of the year nominee. Um, and whatever other fight that there could be. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, this one, you know, for for the main event to be uh, so exciting, that even takes it up another level. Uh, the only sad sort of shame in this is the whole weight cut scenario. Now, now it's we we really wonder: Can Romero ever make 185 again? Do we even want him to make 185? He's actually, I don't believe he's ever made 185, right? Because he's only made 186. In his in his career, so do we do 185? And is it do we do? I know it's not a rubber match because uh, Whitaker has already won two, but yeah. who wouldn't want to see these guys fight again? Despite uh, all the you know caveats that we've thrown out along the way, I mean, I, I'd love to see this again. I was super excited about this fight. It 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 kind of went how I thought it would with Romero. Uh, learning a bit off the mistakes of the first, and it was more competitive than the first. So let's let's run it back. Let's do let's do this one every week. See, uh, see, I, I actually think Whitaker would not want to take that fight again because I don't think he wants to take those shots again because those are pretty brutal shots for him to take. Well, well I also think in business wise, it doesn't make any sense. He's already right. won twice. Like he doesn't need to take this fight again. Well, that was kind of the look on his face when Rogan suggested a rubber match, and Robert <laughs> Whitaker had this look on his face like. Dude, I'm up to nothing. I'm done. I'm done with this guy. And you know what? I'm, it's very hard to argue with Robert Whitaker that am I going to invest in another training camp with the hope that this guy makes weight again? Because, uh, for him, I mean, that, that kind of, if, especially if you're attached to, uh, if these guys were on their own on this pay per view, taking away the title fight element from it, I think greatly decreases people's interest uh, of a show. Um, not to say Robert Whitaker is a, a blockbuster pay-per-view draw, uh, but that is why the title is, is somewhat meaningful, I think, for, for somebody like him. And Yoel Romero is 41 at this point. So I, I don't know if middleweight is really the way that this guy should be um, finishing out his, his fighting career when we have seen two horrendous weight cuts in his last two fights with the Rockhold fight and now this one. That, um, you know, and that's... 
when we talk about more weight classes, that's the predicament so many of these fighters are in. 195 would probably be an ideal weight class for Romero that doesn't want to make the jump of 20 pounds where he could easily make light heavyweight. It would be much healthier for him. But mentally, that's a big gap to go from making 185 to suddenly you're fighting guys that are cutting down from 230, 235 pounds. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I don't – I it, it's he's in a really tough spot, like – I guess he can make 186 and have a few more fights at that weight class. But if you want to be the champion, and that seems to be what is motivating him. He wants to be a champion. So, uh, I mean, could he go up to 205? I mean, uh, Dana floated the idea of, of Gustafson versus uh, Romero, but the size difference would oh be God, huge. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, um, Of the available middleweights uh, for... Robert Whitaker, and he also brought up the fact that he busted up his right hand in the opening round, so he could have an injury on his hands. Um, probably the two candidates you're looking at are Chris Weidman and Kelvin Gastelum, and Weidman did beat Gastelum last summer. Is Weidman the fight to make? Has Gastelum done enough that he could um, backdoor his way into a title fight? I, I don't, I'm not crazy about either of those fights. I mean, um, I think the one, if you're going to do one, it, it's Weidman. Weidman's the former champion. Um, Weidman is at least coming off of a win, although he like it's his first win in you know he's like one in four in his last fights or one in three. Yeah. So uh, I don't know how much sense that makes, but he did beat Gastelum, and Gastelum is an undersized middleweight. So uh, I, I guess you do uh, Kevin Gast or sorry uh, Chris Weidman. Um, um, I guess that's the one to make. Yeah, it's there isn't like a, you know, there isn't the obvious like choice of where, you, of where you where you go. Um, yeah, it's Weidman. Yeah, you're right. He hasn't fought in a year, and it's been well last July, and yeah, he's he's lost three of his last four. Uh, afterwards, they gave out the performance of the night bonuses to Curtis Blades and Charles Oliveira, and then the fight of the night was Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero. But because Romero was point two pounds over. Robert Whitaker banked a hundred grand in the bonus money. So those 0.2 pounds cost <laughs> Joel Romero significantly. Uh, and that was UFC 225, a, a pretty entertaining show and one that might have produced the best and worst fight of 2018. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, so that's going to wrap up the show for us. Phil Ziggy, I want to thank you guys uh, very much for joining me. Uh, this was a lot of fun to do and run through this card. Uh, we ended up doing the Sunday morning because this card was a marathon on yeah. Saturday night. So I, yeah, six, I, I wanted us to all sound coherent. So I, I think yeah. that it was a, a good call to do the Sunday morning. So thanks for adjusting your schedules. No, no, thank you for letting me uh, go to bed because it was, yeah, 615 was the start time and, uh, I watched every fight and it was, it was over at like 130 or something. It, it was, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it was a really long card, but uh, thanks for having us. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, John. Cool. Uh, I usually ask if guys want to promote anything. Do you guys have anything you want to promote? Is there anything uh, you want to? Uh, are there any good uh, haiku Twitter accounts out there, Phil? <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not, no, no haiku Twitter accounts just yet. Okay, but uh, maybe, maybe, maybe down the line we'll uh, we'll we'll make some announcements. All right. Uh, well, thank you guys again. I'm sure we'll do this again in the near future. And of course, you can go to postwrestling.com. We will be back uh, Monday night with a new show uh, following Raw. And you can go to postwrestlingcafe.com right now. We've got a review up of the New Japan Dominion card, uh, which also happened on Saturday. It was a very, very long day between pro wrestling and MMA. So that is it. And we'll talk to you uh, later on this week.